Kyle, Matthew, and I are here again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we talk about the latest, hottest trends in electric vehicles, solar energy, wind energy, energy storage, and energy efficiency. This week, the three stories we're tackling are a big energy storage story related to Lancaster, the city of Lancaster in California, which is aiming to become a net zero energy city. BYD's electric vehicle master plan and Tesla's electric vehicle master plan. To kick us off, Matthew can give us the the latest news on Lancaster. Thanks, Zachary. This story comes to us from a conference call organized by Daphne Weisham of the Center for Sustainable Economy. Uh, All these uh, links and so forth, uh, incidentally, will be in the show notes, so um, readers can definitely uh, click there for further information. One of the speakers on this conference call was Mayor Rex Paris of Lancaster, California, Lancaster being the city where Chinese conglomerate BYD has their electric bus manufacturing facility. On the conference call, Mayor Paris said that his city was working with BYD on a 500 megawatt energy storage system. And I was able to confirm with a uh, BYD contact that he did not misspeak. This is correct. Yeah, it's early stages, might make you know, take a couple of years to get uh, you know, everything done and built and so forth, but they are working on it on a massive 500 megawatt energy storage system. It would be by far the biggest battery storage installation in the world, and it would be proof positive that the era of the natural gas speaker plant, a low efficiency generator only ever turned on maybe 5-10% of the time, was coming to a close. Now typically these energy storage installations have a 4 to 1 ratio of megawatt hours to megawatts of power. So a 500 megawatt power energy storage unit would probably have a capacity in the range of 2000 megawatt hours or 2 gigawatt hours. And for perspective that's the equivalent of about 200,000 10 kilowatt Tesla Powerwalls or 22,000 top of the line Tesla S or X90s. This installation makes really good sense in Lancaster itself because the city had passed a bylaw a couple years back requiring that solar panels need to be deployed for every new house. And Clean Technica was there to uh, to cover that. This installation initiative, the solar panel installation initiative, is part of the city's goal to be the world's first net zero electricity city generating all the power they need within city limits. And incidentally, the bylaw doesn't require you to put the solar panels on your roof. You know, if you're in a shaded area, you can install them elsewhere. You just have to install some to do your part and pull your weight in the community. Uh, this massive battery now, this this battery peaker plant, if you will, is going to be fabulous for helping the city manage its duck curve. Uh, in the summer, uh, when the sun is beating down, they'll be able to store a bunch of the excess power from those solar panels and they'll be able to push that back onto the grid in the early evening when half the people are still at work and half the people have gone home and have turned the air conditioning on and so forth. So it'll it'll be a very, uh, very well worthwhile installation that the city has gone through. They will be rewarded for their foresight in this. Coming back to this 500 megawatts of energy storage, however, again, it, it I just want to reiterate that this does look to be a game-changer simply because it is so much bigger than anything anyone has ever built or that we know of has even discussed publicly. Kyle, I know that you've visited BYD's manufacturing facility in Lancaster, and and I am envious. 
Do you want to perhaps speak to that? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Matthew. I had gone out to the BYD factory a few months back, like you mentioned, to tour and really look at their electric bus assembly out there. And it was extremely impressive with the work they were doing and at the scale they had already ramped it up to. I think they had opened maybe a year prior um, when I went to visit them. And it was really exciting to see what they were doing. And they actually hinted at a project that they were working on with the city of Lancaster. So for me, this is it's really neat to see that this is that project. And it's it's massive, as you mentioned. I think for me, the big takeaways for this were that this really, I think, further, further cements the, the West Coast as kind of the new hub for batteries and electric vehicles. I mean, we've got Tesla, Faraday Future, battery factories, automotive factories, and, and now I think this will um, provide further impetus to, to drive the, the battery manufacturing out here on the West Coast. We did not get a chance to get into the battery manufacturing or module assembly factory there at BYD, but it is just paired with the, the bus factory there. So it's the same facility, they just weren't running it. So they've got a lot more capacity than they actually need today. And I'm thinking that it's going to be these types of grid scale battery projects that really kick that part of the factory into high gear. So I'm, I'm excited about that work. And I think more importantly, as you mentioned, Matthew, this should be a great opportunity for California and for the world to see what a grid scale battery at utility scale. I mean, this is just a massive plan. What that can do and what it does financially for the uh, the Lancaster area. Because I think if we can prove out that grid scale batteries are viable, um, competing head-to-head against current peakers, aside from just the benefits of the improved response time. So a, a battery can respond to demand nearly instantaneously, whereas a peaker plant takes 10 to 15 minutes to, to ramp up and hit that load. Um, so if we can prove that grid scale batteries of this size are viable financially and that they can functionally compete against those peaker units, I mean, this is going to be a huge win for our area and really for the globe. I mean, I think we're just up proving grounds at this point and it's really exciting to be at kind of the, the front end of this learning curve here. So BYD had partnered with the city of Lancaster for this uh, grid-scale battery installation. And I think that's that's really intelligent because that allows them to micromanage slash optimize that installation. They can test it out. They can try new things. They can scale up, scale down, and try out any new battery chemistries perhaps that they want, they want to see how they f- function on, on a grid-scale battery installation. So I just think this installation makes a lot of sense. The location makes a lot of sense. And I'm really excited to see what comes out of that and specifically looking for financials because I wasn't able to find anything about the the current installation and what's paying for it. So I'm really hopeful and really looking forward to the details coming out of this project. Um, Zach, have you had a chance to dig into the details on this? Yeah, well, I I wanted to come back to actually the Lancaster itself because it was a really interesting story when Lancaster first announced that it was going to have this requirement of all new homes having either a certain amount of solar panels on the roof or offsetting that in some other way with a, a solar investment in the community. For one, it was interesting because, you know, this is the kind of thing cleantech fans wanted for a long time and, you know, pie in the sky hopes kind of thing. So when I finally a city implemented it, it was like, wow, someone's actually doing it. This is exciting. But the really interesting thing is that Rex Paris is a Republican. So the, the mayor of Lancaster is a Republican. And 
I don't know if he's concerned about global warming or climate change, but I know he's very interested in energy independence. And this is a topic that Republicans, conservatives can really identify with, I think, is energy independence, self-reliance. These are qualities Rex seems to care a lot about and the city of a whole, as a whole of Lancaster cares a lot about. And uh, this, this deal with the energy storage plan just really solidifies that. But again, it's, it's again a cutting edge decision that, you know, like, like Matthew said, this is, this is a huge project. This is really big. This is not just a token energy storage pilot project. So I think it's shown again, their desire to be, as he, as Rex said before, they wanted to become the solar capital of the, of the universe. I think the sun might have, uh, <laughs> have, have an issue with that in the solar system. As far as the universe, I don't know who, but anyway, yeah, you, you get the point. He really wanted Lancaster to be seen as a leader. And it was when it initiated that rooftop solar mandate, which was followed by another city in California, followed them a few months later, Sebastopol. And they actually went a step further and they required that all new buildings, not just all new residences, residential buildings, have this you know minimum solar installation requirement. The BYD project is just really exciting because it's so big like you guys are are saying i think it's going to it's going to prove hopefully or or at least you know show how close we are to energy storage being you know more competitive than peaker plant natural gas peaker plants and you know like you were pointing out Kyle um energy storage just provides a lot of very specific very very useful benefits to the grid that that peaker plants don't their quick response time their reliability etc so I think the value of this is going to be demonstrated well here and hopefully will spread quickly to other cities. And, and just getting to BYD, I, it again shows BYD is a real leader in clean tech. I mean, BYD is not that well known in the U.S. Of course, clean technica readers know it quite well. But even clean technica readers may not realize that it's, it's involved in electric cars, electric buses, energy storage systems like this solar actually energy efficient lighting so it's it's really got a holistic approach to to clean tech and it's it's a big name in china it's a humongous name in china and i'm curious to see how it develops over the coming few years and if it becomes a a huge name in the u.s uh and regarding that i think we can jump into the next story which is uh, kyle you did a great piece on byd's ev quote master plan so maybe you can you can lead us into a bigger picture of BYD. Definitely. Um, so we've talked a lot about the Tesla EV master plan, and Zach, you laid out a great article on that, which I'll let you dig into uh, a bit and flesh that out. But BYD similarly has kind of their approach to EVs, and it's very different than Tesla. And I think it reflects their focus on really uh, developing the technology and then turning that into action. Um, so the, the three pillars moving through time of their master plan is really to focus first on fleet products. And you can see that with the the electric car they have. It's kind of a compact SUV, the BYD E6. Uh, the 2016 model year of the E6 offers like 250 miles of range, and it's about 50,000. So it's kind of a, a sleeper car. I mean, you look at it and you wouldn't expect it's be electric you wouldn't expect that massive of a range i mean that that range exceeds just about anything else on the market that i'm aware of other than tesla 
and even then it exceeds even the the base model Teslas. So it's it's a very competitive product, but it's it's definitely focused based on that price point. It's focused on uh, fleets. So you're looking at taxis, maintenance crews, people who who can see and afford to invest in kind of a longer time frame on their fleets and also you get the benefits of the reduced maintenance there so focusing on the fleets you see that in the uh, the e6 and also in their electric buses so they're focused on that byd bus and coach factory that uh, matthew mentioned in lancaster the footprint here in the united states is relatively small but in china we covered just a few days back an article on the chinese electric bus industry and just how quickly that is taking off. I think uh, China still has a lot of development work in terms of installing mass transit infrastructure. And so they've got a leg up where they're not they're not having to replace things, but they have that whole startup energy where they're bringing mass transit to a city and they can afford to just do it right the first time with new electric infrastructure, new electric buses. And electric buses are taking off there, and that's obviously where BYD is headquartered. So they're building a lot of uh, electric buses out of China in the U.S. as well, and really focusing on the fleet there. The second phase, or kind of in parallel or riding the tail of that, is BYD is focusing on delivering robust plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. And I think this makes sense. As uh, battery prices continue to drop in price, we won't need that gas drivetrain component, but plug-in hybrids kind of give you the a transition or a bridge technology where you can say, hey, it's electric for the first X number of miles, um, hopefully up around 40 or 50 or more if you can afford it. And then uh, beyond that, if you're going beyond just your normal daily commute, you can just fill up with gas and uh, it gives you a nice bridge to uh, to get where you need to go without having to rent a separate car. Uh, so that's the, the second prong and BYD has got a couple very promising plug-in hybrids that we're hoping to see here in the States before too long. And then the third prong of their their master plan is really just the mass adoption of, of all electric vehicles. So that's kind of the, not quite utopian future, but the uh, the future we're, we're all envisioning here based on the current state of technology um, is that battery electric vehicles will um, be prevalent everywhere. And as battery costs continue to fall, that'll just be more and more practical and people have the the range they i'll say need because i think people really think they need it but it's really more of a want as we look at the statistics so yeah that's just the mass adoption of all electric vehicles and as we talked the byd e6 is already a promising competitor on that front with about 250 miles of range and i think if people ran the numbers on that um, it would probably we'd, we'd see more of those around as well so byd is really taking a very intentional approach to the electrification of their uh, auto fleet and their automobiles. And it's exciting. I think the the fleet products will help drive the price down. They can absorb those heavy costs and then uh, delivering ultimately a a low-cost battery solution to consumers in the next few years. And BYD, their core expertise is really in batteries. So this is really just building on an existing base capability they don't have the the capacity, but they are aggressively building that out. So, I mean, they, they, they do have the right to uh, really own this master plan. Matthew, do you want to you wanna dig into that some more? Sure. Thanks, Kyle. I guess just as a quick note, uh, some listeners may know that BYD is indeed the company that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway owns a 10% stake in. 
They bought it for about $200 million back in 2008, and like so many of the Oracle of Omaha's investments, that purchase looks to have been particularly prescient. One distinction between BYD and all the other electric vehicle makers is that BYD uses a lithium-iron phosphate chemistry. Uh, the downside to this choice is that uh, lithium-iron phosphate doesn't have the same energy density. You get maybe of half as many kilowatt hours per pound, or something like that. Uh, the upside, though, is that the electrolytes are very dimensionally and thermally stable, which means you can probably get away with a smaller, lighter, and a simpler safety system. And, you know, BYD clearly feels that's a worthwhile trade-off, and their representatives are emphatic that they believe their iron phosphate-based chemistry is a superior choice to the nickel-manganese-cobalt-oxide chemistries that most of the competitors use, I think all the competitors use. Although, of course, that's their homegrown technology, so they would say that. Hmm? BYD certainly has its master plan, though. Over the years, they've moved up the value chain, going from a battery supplier all the way up to an integrated automobile manufacturer. They have all the access to all the capital they'll ever need through Berkshire Hathaway, and it would be very interesting to hear from listeners whether they've made major inroads into developing countries. You'd figure that their progress in the West and in the OECD countries might be slower since you know, most of these other countries have their own... Um, domestic auto manufacturers who might be able to put up you know extra competition so on and so forth but given the vehicle they offer at the price point that they already offer it is very impressive and it's probably just a matter of time before they make a big major push into north america europe japan and elsewhere zachary uh, what's your take uh, thanks. Yeah, well, BYD is an interesting case. Uh, I, I don't know if this is correct information, but I did hear from someone that Warren Buffett and, and his partner didn't, they didn't invest in BYD based on their usual like methodology, but because basically they were so impressed with the, the founder of BYD, who's like founder, he's, he has like several titles, like founder, CEO, president, chairman. One of those is, is someone else, but, but basically he's, he is BYD, and uh, one of his innovations or inventions was this type of battery, which I think BYD first got really big because uh, of growing to a large scale in the mobile device market using this battery, this type of battery. But I, th I think they just they were really impressed with him, and that's why they invested so much in BYD. But BYD, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting case. It's really hard to see if it's going to become a mass market leader in, in cars and in passenger cars in the United States or not, but it already is in, in China. And the, the interesting thing to me is that BYD's and Tesla's approaches are, are similar, but also quite different. So they both come from a very, you know, Elon Musk and the founder of BYD are both very scientific people who created great innovations and their their technologies have been based on this scientific approach basically and and they're both entering the market by basically starting out in a very niche segment it's just that they chose very different very different niche segments so tesla chose high-end you know performance cars and byd chose fleets and buses you know uh taxis so 
now in the, the next phase, you know, they're still going along their niche. So Tesla has the high-end Model X just rolling out. BYD's gotten bigger on fleets and, and buses. Although BYD now also is, is in this plug-in hybrid niche where, you know, even if a fully electric car isn't competitive at a certain price point because of range, unless people don't care about range, plug-in hybrids can be. And, and they've, BYD's created a really, really quick and fun sedan, the BYD Chin, and the really quick and fun SUV, CUV, the, the Tang. And these these models are selling like hotcakes in China, and I think if they were sold in the U.S., they would sell extremely well because of both price point and performance. But uh, you know, there's there's a lot there are a lot of hurdles to bringing cars to the U.S. market for passenger sales, and apparently BYD doesn't feel like that's a step it can take yet. But it's these very very different approaches. I think are very actually you know, complementary. They're helping to electrify transport from different sides of, of the industry. And I think that's that's really useful. Uh, that's going to be more useful than it would be if, if everyone took the same approach. However, I think Tesla's approach, which I wrote about at length recently, I think it has, it has potential for a more dramatic effect. Uh, and to j- just very quickly summarize, Tesla's master plan since it was at least published in 2006 by Elon Musk on the Tesla Motors blog back when Elon was a part-time chairman of Tesla it was basically you know to become to produce a long-range affordable electric car by starting at the high end and selling to people who are willing to pay a premium to to fund R&D and scaling up production so start at the high end with that expensive sports car and then moved to an expensive high performance model which was the model s and now it's its sister or brother the model x and then eventually to get production up enough that they can get economies of scale uh, to the level where costs come down enough to be able to produce a a financially viable you know fully electric long-range affordable electric car so that's been Tesla's approach. And anyone who thinks Tesla's approach is just to sp- sell expensive cars has real no, really no clue on what Tesla's aims are. But the thing about this approach that it, I think is really interesting is that when you create such ridiculously awesome cars, it gets people's attention. Okay, most of us are never going to spend $100,000 or more on a, on a car, but we can sure as heck appreciate the insane performance, the insane tech uh, wizardry, the the wonderful features of these cars. This is what generally drives car sales anyway, is emotions and desire. If you actually, a car purchase is one of the most idiotic purchases you can make from a financial point of view, because you're basically throwing money away very quickly, especially if you're buying a new. If you need to drive, of course, you need to drive. And we've built cities where we need to drive, but but these are very emotional decisions. These uh, commercials for cars are not, you know, they're not nuts and bolts to do the math commercials. They're commercials to try to make you desire the vehicle. And Tesla's done such a good job of creating such amazing vehicles that it's, that it's created a lot of desire for its vehicles, for its brand in general, and for electric cars in general. So, you know, we've seen that when, when they entered into home storage all of a sudden everybody was interested in energy storage because basically it was Tesla and Tesla is so sexy because of the Model S and the Roadster and the Model X 
that everyone's interested. I mean, a lot of people are interested in anything Tesla does. Uh, so that's created enormous demand for the Model 3, the affordable car it's supposed to produce. But it also just has a humongous ripple effect across the industry. So it brings attention to the Nissan Leaf, the Chevy Volt, the BMW i3. Every electric car on the market gets more attention because of Tesla's products of desire. So I think I think both are needed. I think both are important. I think we're much better along with, with these two companies coming into the market from different niche angles. But definitely the Tesla angle to create products of desire, I think, is humongously effective uh and i'll leave it to you guys to to chime in on that yeah for me i think while you highlighted the the amazing work tesla is doing and the fact that they've created a very attractive brand and their products are just amazing and people want the products that's at the same time the exact hurdle that byd is going to have to to jump over if they're going to compete in the current car market because they're their products today are very practical they are that nuts and bolts approach so they've got extremely compelling battery technology their cars are very affordable or they they're on track to be extremely affordable based on the uh the capacity that they're building out right now but at the same time they're, they're it's not a lucrative product you don't look at the e6 today and say wow that's a car i want you don't you don't put the poster on the wall you don't have it set as the background of your uh, your laptop and but but that's the U.S. product. So note that the Tang is like a ridiculously quick SUV, and the Chin also is ridiculously quick plug-in hybrid. So they have that desire products of desire in China, but they haven't done that in the U.S. So yeah, I, I think there's definitely there's definitely a, a move in that direction. You can see that, um, and maybe the E6 was just built with more of a muted design to make it more obviously a visibly functional car. Um, but just looking at their core electric products, they don't have that yet today. And I think that's really where they need to go is they need to put some marketing on the brand. They need to put that polish on on the electric fleet and, and bring those over. I mean, if they're going to bring the Chin and the Tang over, that would be amazing. And I think that would be a great start at building that type of a brand in the U.S. And it would really mesh well with what Tesla is doing. And I think we've, we've looked at the, the size of the auto market in the U.S., uh, many times, but there, there's plenty of room for way more players than we have. I think um, even if Tesla scaled all the way up, we would need effectively 10 Teslas of that size based on their current ambitions um, to really satisfy the needs of the uh, the customer base across the world. So, I mean, we the, the auto market is extremely massive across the globe, and I'm thankful that BYD is playing in the space, but I think they've got a bit of challenge based on their current positioning. So I'm I'm excited to see where they're going and uh, really want to dig into what their next steps are in terms of bringing electric cars to the uh, the States. I mean, I was pushing on them when I was out at the factory, probably to the point where they just wanted to tell me to shut up. But uh, I, I want to see their cars out here. I want to see the E6. I want to see the Chin and the Tang. And, and I want to see BYD vehicles on the roads around me because they are um, they're, they will be affordable. They will be, you'll have the range that customers want. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to big things from BYD for sure. And I want to follow Warren Buffett and that investing. Cause I think it's still pretty early on there. I'll pass it over to, uh, to Matthew to unpack that a little bit more. Thanks, Kyle. Yes, you'd mentioned that BYD had begun by servicing fleets, you know, buses, taxis, and so forth. And I think their E6, their Blandmobile, was even designed to be a taxi. 
BYD's strategy is complementary to Tesla's. So Tesla decided to create a breakout offering, a Halo product that does more than anything in its class. And so the Model S redefined what everyone thought a car should be, even if it's more expensive, in much the same way that an iPhone redefined what everyone thought a cell phone should be, even though that was also priced at a premium. And in contrast, uh, BYD seems to be taking a more traditional disruptive approach, where they're taking an edge case, sort of a a low-end-of-the-market edge case, buses, taxis, and they're making something functional that meets the needs of that market. And then they're leapfrogging into more upmarket areas and moving up to higher price points. So it's the opposite of Tesla's strategy, which is, of course, to create the best possible car, the coveted vehicle, and then move progressively lower. There is certainly room for both companies and many more besides in the electric vehicle market. And it's a bit like a pincher movement almost, because a high-end combustion vehicle can't compete with an electric vehicle on performance, as long as it's got the range. And low-end combustion buses are are getting beaten, or will soon be beaten, on life cycle cost, because combustion vehicles simply can't compete on reliability with electric vehicles. Zachary, did you want to elaborate any further? Yeah, and I guess something with the the master plans of these companies that's at the core is that you have to bring down battery prices. Uh, And, you know, the way to do that is basically to increase production. So you have to find how to increase production in a financially sustainable way uh, enough that you can bring down battery prices enough that you can reach the mass market. So I I do think the, the, the move into electric buses was a genius move by BYD. And they've sold a ton of these in China, tens or at least tens of thousands. Um, and I, even years ago when I was at an EV conference in Barcelona, the Barcelona transit agency was, was testing one and they found that, that this was, that it was cost competitive with conventional diesel buses on a lifetime basis. So if you just run the numbers and it's cost competitive, plus it keeps the air in your city cleaner, it just makes sense. So I, I expect these to blow up, uh, even more than they, than they are in China. And, that, you know, they require a lot of batteries. So that's going to increase production a lot, which is going to bring down price a lot. So it's, it's again, a great approach to, to increasing production in order to bring down price. But yeah, I love your, your, your line, the bland mobile, the, the E6 is definitely a bland mobile. And uh, it's, it's good to see that BYD has overcome any stigma from that because it's, it's chin and tang, are extremely popular. The Chin uh, sold out like it sold like thousands or tens of thousands in in seconds as soon as it became available online. And by the way, BYD also sells its cars online in, in China, like Tesla does in the U.S. But I, but I think overcoming that stigma will be really important for BYD in North America and Europe if it ever intends to sell passenger cars at a large scale here. And I think coming back to its the what what the name of the company is might be a good way to rebrand that the BYD is not going to ring a bell with anyone and it doesn't excite anyone, but it stands for build your dreams, which is a wonderful phrase that I think a lot of uh, Westerners would, would really connect with and, and like. So I think if BYD could rebrand more around build your dreams and then bring its extremely fast uh, electrified vehicles to the market, it could become uh, of course, it would be hard to ever compete with Tesla on, as far as desire goes. Tesla is such a popular brand now, but it could become a very desirable, popular brand. 
but unless unless uh, anyone else has more comments on BYD, we can jump into the brand it could potentially most compete with in the in the U.S., which would be General Motors. And we have another, I guess we could call it a Bob Lutzism, <laughs> another interesting line from Bob Lutz, former head of GM, now he's head of Via, Via Motors, and basically sort of retired, but then started Via Motors. And I think Bob should be retired. I think he's he's just, he's he's getting, I don't know, maybe he was a little crazy before, but his he's just, he puts out so many ridiculous phrases. First of all, let's note that he is a global warming denier. <laughs> so he's one of those pe- few people, few remaining people who think that the scientists don't know what they're talking about. He has he has strange ideas like that where he thinks he knows more than the experts. Uh, when the Volt came out, which he pioneered, and he was really excited to push, he was really excited about this product. He won a lot of awards because it was a great product. It got slammed on Fox News and conservative media. And Bob Lutz was like shocked. He was like, Wow, are you kidding? I can't believe they're you know this is such a great vehicle. He didn't understand how biased this media was and how how it approached innovations like this. So uh, I think that's just it. It just shows Bob has a kind of naivety, or has like he he thinks he figures out one thing, and then he doesn't get the big picture. So you know I'm hating on Bob Lutz a lot right now, but he just says a lot of stupid stuff. So the most recent stupid comment I'll let uh, Kyle Kyle talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I think you set it up well. But basically, Bob Lutz came out. It was at a roundtable back in August. This is a bit dated, but he he said, I, I would be surprised and shocked if the 200-mile electric bolt is going to make money. He's like, you look at the cost per kilowatt hour of the batteries and the number of kilowatt hours they've gotten there, and then you look at the selling price, it's just not going to work, uh, end, end quote. Yeah, so we, one of our commenters, thankfully, um, Bob Wallace, the other Bob, the intelligent Bob that actually looks at the data and, and makes decisions, he, he threw some facts this is out. Our, this is the Bob we love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bob's awesome. He's one of the, the core people here at Clean Technica. Uh, but he just threw it down. Uh, the Bolt's got a 50 kilowatt hour pack, or we can assume something around that size that's about double the current EV sizing which would put it up around 190 to 200 mile range which is just kind of what they're talking and at the price that gm has been talking at their agreed price with lg which is 145 dollars per kilowatt hour for the the cells it's about 7250 bucks and then adding on a 30 percent price uh, increase to put those cells into the full packs puts you at about 9400 bucks electric motor two grand controller a thousand dollars for a total for the Electric powertrain of about twelve thousand four hundred twenty-five. They're looking to sell that for around thirty-seven five, and then if you take that out, that still leaves you with twenty-five thousand and change for just the the base car, the frame, the chassis, all the things that GM already knows how to do and has done for for decades. He compared that to the the full price of the Honda Accord, which is just over twenty-two thousand, and you still have a, a pretty sizable buffer. Uh, to build the car, to integrate the systems and and all of that. And that Honda Accord price includes, obviously, the internal combustion powertrain, the engine, the exhaust, all the fun emissions control equipment that EVs don't need. So I think it it just really lays out how obviously incorrect Bob's Bob Lutz's quote was. And uh, he's really just shoving his foot into his mouth in, in a in not-so-eloquent way. Um, 
And then flipping that over, the other thing that I think is just beyond ironic is that, as you mentioned, Zach, he's the chairman of Via Motors, which they're developing and, and selling plug-in hybrid trucks. Uh, they're actually taking GM trucks and vehicles and retrofitting those with these hybrid or plug-in hybrid powertrains and uh, and selling those. And the, the insane part about his comment is that the price point, the starting price point for a Via truck uh, is $79,000. And so you, you look at that and you're like, your truck costs d- like double what the Bolt is expected to sell for. People are buying that, and obviously that's a, a fleet price at not full-scale production volumes, but um, if people are paying $79,000 for a truck that's retrofitted and it's it's making sense and fleets are buying those, to think that a fully electric vehicle with numbers that just plain make sense won't sell and that they're going to lose money on it even, even more boldly. Um, it just sounds silly and, and uh, really trying to be inflammatory. I think a lot of Bob's shtick, Bob Lutz's shtick, is uh, just saying things to get in the news. It's almost like that any news is good news taken too far, just taken to the extreme, and then you roll that all together and you get Bob Lutz. Uh, so I think he's just doing that to get uh, his name in the news and to kind of cause a stir. I don't know if they had a big product launch back in August and he needed his name tied to a new VIA announcement or, or what the uh, particular um, occasion was for this comment, but yeah, it just seemed uh, a bit silly there. Matthew, I know you've looked at this one. Uh, you want to provide some perspective on that? Well, I'll just offer our listeners a blast from the past from a CNN story from January 2004 on the Toyota Prius, uh, the link for which is in the show notes. The fourth paragraph of the story reads, Toyota insists the Prius will be profitable, but Lutz says he believes the only way a company can shoulder the extra cost of a hybrid system is by putting it on a higher-priced, higher-margin vehicle, such as a pickup or a sport utility vehicle. So Bob Lutz was wrong on the Prius more than 10 years ago, and he's wrong on electric vehicles today. I'll leave it at that, and listeners can draw their own conclusions. Uh, Perhaps I'll turn it back to you, Zachary, for closing. Uh, that's a great quote. I mean, I mean, he's he's basically. I mean, we would have to dig up a lot of quotes, but he's basically made a lot of a lot of ridiculous quotes over the past several years. Um, and w- one commenter on our site noted that he's a bit schizophrenic about electrics because he's he says they're not viable. One of the, some of the statements he made was that compliance cars are losing all these companies' money. He blamed like thirty percent increases on price of gasoline trucks, basically on these companies losing money producing compliance electric cars and a compliance car uh, is basically like uh, the, the point is that, you know, California man and some other States mandate that automakers produce a certain number of electric vehicles or, or a certain percentage. And uh, so electric ve- vehicle, so those big manufacturers are producing electric vehicles basically because they have to. And Bob Lutz is blaming lost you know, money that these companies are losing on compliance cars, supposedly, uh, on big price increases of, of normal cars, which is just another like ridiculous. Especially if you consider the the scale and the the the, the amount of money that could potentially be lost, even if it is lost. Um, but it highlights a couple of things to me. One, and and his idea was that all these companies should get together and just produce one compliance car that they all sort of share and sell together. 
which is <laughs> which is hilarious. But I mean, one of the ridiculous things about that to me is that if any company is losing money on an electric car right now, it's because they're not really putting enough into it. Tesla, a startup out of Silicon Valley, is making good margin on its electric cars. It would be making a, a really healthy profit if it weren't trying to expand at a ridiculous rate. It's showing you can make a lot of money on electric cars, but a lot of manufacturers are producing really handicapped types of electric cars that, that are not selling in high numbers and they're just not selling them widely. So if, if they're losing money, it's their own fault. But another thing to note is that um, Bob made this statement before the announcement came out that LG Chem's battery cells were $145 a kilowatt hour. So before that was public, you know, Bob doesn't have inside information at GM anymore. Before that was public, he might have been assuming that they were paying a lot more for batteries, especially if he's paying a lot more for batteries at VM Motors, which it seems like he is. So he he might have just had really bad assumptions regarding the cost of the batteries. But again, it's it's him making a big, huge statement when he doesn't really know the full story. <laughs> so I think, like you said, Kyle, he, he looks for attention. He makes huge statements. He's, he's just this kind of character who makes big statements and sees how they land, I don't know, without a lot to back it up. Uh, do you have some more thoughts on that before we end the show? Yeah, I think for me... I did want to throw a final plug in for the the Bolt. I really hope they change the name to something that doesn't sound like Volt. I know CES is just around the corner and they're expected to announce the actual production model for that. But while we're on the topic of the Bolt, I did want to plug that. We have the benefit yeah, of being an online blog. So. Yeah, I mean, there was a big push for that. And they, they backed up, like, not long after it was announced, they said they were sticking with it. But I've heard rumor that they are going to change the name. But But who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I would, I would love that. So I'm still holding out for that. I just think it would be the silliest thing. I mean, we have enough confusion in the, like the four times a month we talk in our podcast trying to get the names uh, across clearly. And uh, so, yeah, I, just, I, I hope that Chevy wisens up to that one and makes the sales process a little bit easier. But for Bob, yeah, I think he's kind of run his story. He's run his path. He's run his course. And not expecting a lot of great things from him. And I, personally, for me, it even puts kind of a damper on the excitement around Via. I mean, they're really the only company leaning into trucks in terms of more sustainable drivetrains that I'm aware of. And this, the perspective that he's, he's just pushing here and then the product or the, the marketing product, maybe because he's a marketing guy at his core that he's selling is just really, it puts a bad taste in my mouth. And I just wish he was a little more positive and he, he tried to keep a more positive angle on the industry overall instead of just talking down to whoever his competition is at the time and he's made the push that tesla should produce plug-in hybrids which is again just a ridiculous i mean it's it's not going to happen and it's obviously like why would tesla it's got it's obviously succeeding very well in what it's doing but again he thinks tesla's uh, on the path to failure he's he's stated this year so i mean he, he i don't know it is a shame i I, he's the chairman of VM Motors, but I sort of hope that there's, there are a lot more sensible people running the company because I think there's a lot of potential there and they seem to be doing well, but, but we don't really know that much about them. Yeah, I wonder if at some level this will be Bob Lutz's Steve Ballmer moment. There was that infamous video where the then CEO of Microsoft dissed the 
iPhone, this must have been 2007 when it just came out, and he was saying things like, no one's ever going to buy a phone without a keyboard, and it's the most expensive phone on the market. Balmer seemed to forget that as products mature, things get less expensive, improvements get made, and products become ever more compelling. In the auto sector, it's not uncommon, actually, for auto companies to plan on just breaking even or even losing money on their first generation of a vehicle. Toyota may have broken even on the material costs for the first generation Prius, but there's no way they amortized their research costs over 150,000 vehicles, which is the entire total of first generation Priuses they sold in like six years. But like all four-sided companies, they said, hey, this is an investment in the future. This is a core technology. We'll recoup these expenses in Gen 2, Gen 3, you know, in years 5 through 20, that kind of a thing. So, yeah, I just just think this will prove to be another Steve Ballmer moment for, for Bob Lutz. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, Excellent conversation again. A lot of fun topics. Uh, Listeners, thank you for listening. And feel free to please uh, share the podcast widely. You can subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can just listen on Clean Technica or EV Obsession. And, you know, uh, keep sharing so we get more and more listeners and we can do more of this podcast. And check in next week to get your electric fix. Bye.